Hey guys, it's April. Did you know that you can leave us a voice message with your feedback or questions on our Anchor homepage and we can incorporate it directly into the podcast? Isn't that cool? Just head to anchor.fm slash east to west WLS, which is our Anchor homepage. Scroll down a little bit until you see the message box and then use your smartphone to leave us a message. We'd be so happy to hear from you and we're very excited to incorporate your questions into an upcoming show. Thanks for your continued support of East to West WLS. Hi, welcome to East to West WLS, the podcast where we support the bariatric community with humor, humility, and honesty. I'm April and I'm the West. And I'm Natalie and I'm also the West. Oh, boom. Surprise number two. Our friend and co-host Jason is enjoying much needed time with his grandbaby. So Nat and I are holding down the fort. But today we are coming in hot and deep with a topic that is often felt in our community, but very rarely discussed. Mm -hmm. And that is food shame and food guilt. Yeah. These are some massive topics. I think all of us have felt these feelings at one time or another, or perhaps we just lived in the land of food guilt and food shame. And after bariatric surgery, it can be shocking to kind of clearly see how often we live in these lands and it kind of hits us hard. I know this summer, Katie and Steph were visiting me up here in Washington. You were here this summer often a lot. And we had quite a few conversations around the shame and the guilt that we were feeling around eating foods that we shouldn't be eating. And that is something very difficult to confront. It can be difficult to talk about, uh, but the reason we want to talk about it today is that as I'm discovering in my own life, if I keep these things hidden and in the dark, they just continue to fester. But if I share them with my friends, if I have an open and honest conversation about it and I bring it to the light, it becomes not so scary and it becomes something that I can work on and almost overcome. I can't work in the dark, right? I'm going to do my best work when there's light shining down on this thing. And I am ready to be rid of food, guilt, and shame. And I think you are also on that same path as well. 100%. Right. We are done. Uh, so we're hoping that our conversation will shed a little light, perhaps on things that you've been experiencing along your bariatric journey. And we'll, we hope that you leave with some tools and some tricks that you can employ in your own life to really kind of start dismantling perhaps your food, shame, or guilt. Uh, so that's kind of like the big like overview of today's topic. But before we really dive in, Nat, will you introduce yourself to people that maybe don't know who you are and don't follow you on Instagram? Yeah, so my name's Natalie. I am at breakingberry underscore ERS, which is breaking barriers, little play on words with the bariatric community there. Mm -hmm. um, and I have uh, lost 130 pounds in the last uh, year, including my pre-op uh, and post-op. So, uh, you know, I have had VSG surgery. I had it down in Mexico at the Obesity Control Center. Um, and this is actually my third bariatric surgery, which is something that I'm trying to talk about more. Um, I had the lap band and then I had a bariatric like plication surgery, which is what I call my pseudo sleeve. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and both did not work for me. I had either severe complications uh, or they just did not uh, help me feel full. Um, and so now, 10 years later, I am, you know, I tried again. And so here I am. Um, but yeah, my, my Instagram is really just sharing my story. It is uh, all the raw, the real, the good stuff uh, and the not so good stuff. I try to keep it as 100 as possible <laughs> over there. Uh, we talk about everything. So uh, if you, if you want to talk about everything from dating post-op to, you know, bowel movements post-op, mm-hmm. that good stuff, I'm, I'm your girl. Let's talk about it. Um, I want to talk about those things because those are the real things. Um, that happen uh, post-op. So uh, that is me. Um, I also help East to West with their social media and behind the scenes. Um, Met April and Jason about a year ago and it's, yeah, it's history since. So (laughs) it is like ancient history at this point. And I think I need to clarify, you do more than help. You run our social media. And you help like with all the back end stuff. I mean, if you guys can see the text string and the text communicate and the work that goes in behind it, I think you'd be a little bit shocked. Uh, but yeah, so let's let's give full credit where credit is due. Not runs. Right. I need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I can help with that. I can help with that. <laughs> all right, friend. So our conversation today is really gonna center around some big talking points. So we're gonna break down what food guilt and shame is, uh, how we have experienced food guilt and shame in our own lives, how we can recognize it and and overcome it. Uh, So as always, we're gonna kind of start by just getting on the same page so that we're speaking kind of the same language. uh, And then we're really just gonna dive into this conversation. So I think we're ready, Shall, shall we dive in? Let's do it, I'm ready. Hey, it's April with East to West WLS. I don't know about you, but after I dropped a significant amount of weight, my body just didn't feel like my own and I needed help feeling like it was my own again. So I started receiving chiropractic care. If you live in the Tacoma area, I cannot recommend Grit City Cairo more. Dr. McKenzie is passionate about helping you feel, function, and live better. Check out her Instagram at Grit City Cairo or her website, gritcitychiropractic.com for more info and to book your first consultation. And if you mention East to West, you'll get a discount on your first visit. I feel amazing after seeing her, and I think you will too. All right, friend. So very first question, I think, what is your own personal definition of food shame or food guilt? Um, Well, for me, there are two different things uh, that are very closely related that kind of snowball each other. So Uh, for me, they're, they're both main parts of a cycle essentially. So, uh, shame for me is just feeling, uh, an overall sense of being a failure or just not being able to do anything right. Uh, especially in relation to diet and food and my weight. Um, and then shame leads me to act on the shame, which is usually binging or, um, restricting. Um, and, uh, the guilt part is either if I am restricting, like, why am I restricting feeling bad that I'm restricting Mm -hmm. or it's binging and then feeling guilty that I made these poor choices, um, for reacting to my shame. And then it just kind of 
snowballs on itself. So for me, the two are very, uh, not synonymous, but they work together in my, in my brain. Yep. They, it's the exact same way for me. I always envision, and I don't know what, I don't know where this comes from, but you know, the, the two snakes circling around each other, kind of eating at each other. And it is just a nonstop cycle of feeling really horrible about myself and my choices. And that feeling usually pushes me to continue to make bad choices that that aren't aligned to my health. There's so much information that is available about food shame and food guilt. And uh, I recently read an article, it's actually on self.com that was co-authored by uh, some different uh, experts in the field. So I'm just going to read kind of an excerpt that comes directly from this article because I felt they did a really good job of kind of breaking down what this is and how they're a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So the article says that food guilt is the feeling of having done something wrong, right? Or guilt is when we feel like we've done something wrong. Uh, shame, meanwhile, is deeper and more personal, a sense that you are flawed as a person, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's something wrong with me is shame, whereas guilt is you just feel like you've made a, a wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Dr. Webb in the article says, quote, guilt is more of a negative evaluation of a behavior. So I did something wrong, whereas shame is more of a I am wrong, right? It's this intense feeling of inadequacy and worthlessness, and it's not a healthy thing for people to have, clearly, Mm -hmm. right? And really when it comes specifically to food, so food guilt or food shame, it's usually tied to our perceived health value that we have assigned to certain foods. So right? It's not necessarily that a food is good or bad. It's that we have decided that a certain food is good or bad. And we're going to judge ourselves based on the decisions that we make around those, around those foods. Yeah. And I know that, um, you know, I, I grew up knowing that I was always overweight, that I was always hungrier than others, that I could eat more and that I did eat more. So I did have a lot of shame when it came to that, because I really thought something is wrong with me, that, mm-hmm. that there's, there's physically something wrong with me. There's emotionally something, something is wrong with my brain, right? So that shame and guilt was really kind of uh, hand in hand for me. And mm-hmm. I was always the type of person when I was, you know, an adult, I was going to do something about it. I always used to say like, well, I was a good fat person because I was always dieting, right? I was always trying this. I was going to not eat that. I was juicing. I was cleansing. I was doing all of these things. Well, then the first time that I messed up, that I ate outside of those restrictions or those guidelines, then the guilt would come because it was like, oh, well, now I've eaten bad food. Now I'm a horrible person. Why couldn't I have just said no to whatever it was that I ate. And then it just kicked me off into this. Well, there's, there's something wrong with you. This is never going to work for you. You, you will never get past this just horrible things that I would say to myself, but would really yeah. keep me, would, would keep me in that, in that cycle. Was that your experience as well? Yeah. I mean, I grew up, uh, I was always big, uh, ever since I was a baby, ever since I was little, um, you know, so I grew up in a household where, um, I call it mainstream food, like candy bars, sugary cereals, like that's white bread. That stuff was never in my house. Um, And so, and I knew, I think I always knew deep down that it was because of me. You know what I mean? Like it, like 
I always just had a sense that like, okay, we were eating differently. And I, it wasn't until I was a little bit older, like maybe 10 or 12, you know, I kind of was like, okay, I'm bigger, uh, you know, and you, you take like health classes and things in school and learn about sugar and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, we don't have those foods in my house, you know, and you start kind of putting those things together. Like I am bigger than all of the other kids. And then that's where that shame sets in where it's like, it's because of me that we don't eat these foods at mm-hmm. home. What is wrong with me? Oh, and that is so interesting. Yeah. So I grew up, you know, kind of already with that shame. Yeah. And then, you know, if I broke, cause I'm a kid, right? Like I'm little and I have allowance or whatever. Mm. I would go like my dance class they had like a little snack box is like 50 cents for a snack or something. So I'd bring money and I'd get like a candy bar or I'd get like something that I wouldn't have at home. And then I would feel guilty for eating that without my mom knowing, or, you know, something like that. Um, and so that would just perpetualize that shame and guilt cycle. So, um, you know, I grew up with, with kind of that already in me. Um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that developed later. It was like, I always knew that I was big and that's why we didn't have white bread or fruity cereals or those kinds of things at home. So I grew, I pretty much grew up with that shame. Uh, and it isn't until recently that I've been able to, you know, work on that and take that out of my brain. That is fascinating that that is kind of the root of, or, you know, that, that is what you think is maybe the, the foundation of, of your feelings. How did you come to understand that? I mean, what questions did you ask yourself or, or how, you know, yeah. How have you arrived at that conclusion? Therapy. <laughs> I go to therapy. <laughs> I did not come up with that on my own. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, it's something that like, I have been in and out of therapy for years and yeah you know, uh, this has been a very recent within the last two years discovery of like, you know, oh, I did notice those things when I was, I mean, kids Mm -hmm. notice things, you know, kids go to other kids' houses and compare their pantries, you know, Mm -hmm. that's that we do. And I would go over to my, you know, friend's house and her pantry was full of chips and cookies and sodas and you know all of these things and I was like well my pantry is full of brown bread and brown rice yeah brown rice lentils Mm -hmm. yeah like my snacks were crackers and cheese instead of the chips and you know I was like oh that's weird you know that's but you know I didn't know any better and then you get Mm -hmm. a little bit older and you go to health class and you learn like oh these foods are bad and these mm-hmm. foods are good. Mm-hmm. I'm using air quotes for those who are just listening, but you know, <laughs> it's like you, you learn all of these little nuances, you know, and um, finally, you know, I did go to Weight Watchers when I was like 12, I was in sixth grade and I was in Weight Watchers. And that's really when it solidified, like, oh, something's wrong. Like yeah. I'm learning, I'm doing extra things that other kids aren't doing because of my size and because I have a hard time with weight. Yep. And what was always confusing for me growing up is I grew up, I think in a very similar home to you. I wouldn't say that we were 
like super healthy, quote unquote, but we were, I mean, same thing, my pantry, we never, I mean, soda, nope, uh, mm-hmm. treats, nope. I mean, it was, it was very, it was whole food. It was lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of whole grains, you know, and and home prepared meals. My, my mom, I don't know how she did it, but you know, if we ate a hundred times that month, 99, 99 of those meals were, were homemade meals from, from whole food. And the older that I got, it really perplexed me because every time I would go to my friend's houses, their, their homes were filled with very different food. And I couldn't figure out why I was the size that I was because I ate what I thought and what really I think are more aligned to a healthier, you know, a longer life, foods that promote longevity, let's say. And then my friend's house would be filled with foods that would not promote longevity and they're at a healthy weight. And it was like, well, I don't understand. I'm doing everything right, quote unquote. Like I'm eating all of the foods that, the doctors and nutritionists and Dr. Oz and all these people are telling me I should be eating, but why am I so much larger than them? Mm-hmm. So it very quickly, you know, or very young in me instilled, like, well, there's something wrong with you. Like yeah. you are, you're not right. And then you're just constantly searching for oh, wait, what's going to make me right. What diet, what eating plan, what, you know, I mean, I can remember going to countless doctors to, to figure out like why I was the size that I was, there had to be a reason for it. And, you know, unfortunately obesity was so misunderstood and remains to be so misunderstood, um, that, you know, the answer was always, well, it's your diet, it's your diet, it's your diet. And I can remember going on, you know, some really restrictive, some pretty crazy diets, even when I was in high school. And while I do think they, they made a lot of difference. I mean, I, I got diagnosed with a candida overgrowth and I went to like, you know, gluten-free, you know, grain, free, you know, all the, the candida diet basically when I was in high school and I did, I dropped a lot of weight and I joined the swim team and I was very, I felt very healthy, but the weight came back as soon as one thing changed. And, yeah. and then I went to college and, you know, uh, I think if we've been to college, we know what happens there. Uh, and I just, I, I, I did not, and I could not ma- maintain that, that diet that I was on, but it's, it really, uh, once that thought creeps into your brain, it is almost impossible to rid yourself of, uh, it, it takes a lot of, a lot of work. And in all of like the, the learning and the research that, that we have done on food guilt and food shame, this isn't something that just instantly goes away. And here at East to West, we really have coined this term, right? This is the work of weight loss surgery, mm-hmm. asking ourselves a, a very simple question, but a very deep question of why, why am I feeling this way? What, what, what is, what is behind all of this? And you just have to constantly be asking yourself that why. And when you get to the answer that just feels right, that doesn't bounce back up, that's where you know the work is. And it's constantly revisiting that when you're, when you're making your food choices or when you're, when you're talking to yourself, again, another big piece of the weight loss, the work of weight loss surgery, you are constantly thinking and unaware of all of these private dialogues that you're having with yourself all the time. Yeah. And it's exhausting, especially when it comes to food guilt and food shame. And, and I think why, why it is so difficult to really find your happy, healthy weight after weight loss surgery is that when you become aware of all of these internal dialogues, 
you really start to understand, oh my God, I've been talking negatively to myself for decades, right? Or for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of energy to really think about those conversations and to flip the script. Whereas before weight loss surgery, we didn't even know that we were saying these things to ourselves. So it was work that we actually weren't doing. The, our obesity, that, that excess weight was just keeping down all of those conversations. They weren't being brought to light. They were just running up here and we just block them out. Well, for yeah. me, after weight loss surgery, all of a sudden it's like that block is gone. And now it's like, oh my God, I can actually listen to myself. Oh my God, what am I saying to myself? Oh my, you know, every day it's like, this is exhausting. Well, no wonder I tuned it out before because I don't have the energy or the capacity to deal with this, but I do after weight loss surgery. And that's what I have to continually tell myself. No, no, no. I do have the time. I do have the capacity to really understand what I'm saying to myself and flip that script. That is the work of weight loss surgery. And it, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's, it's also it's to yourself, but it's also about yourself, yes. right? Like it's what you're saying also to others about yourself. Like I had a recent, I was talking to a new friend and, uh, you know, I'm very uncoordinated. I've never been athletic. I was born without depth perception, had surgery for it, like all of this stuff. Right. So I'm always like, it's very self-deprecating, you know, I was like, Oh, I could try that, but I'm really uncoordinated. Like, I just really, I don't, like just shut myself down and they're like well I think you know I think that maybe you're not giving yourself credit like you just did a b c mm -hmm. so you must be kind of coordinated you know right and so it's like okay also like listening to what I'm saying to others about myself um and and realizing like oh this is like what my, my shame or my guilt brain was saying to me for 27 years, you know, it's like, okay, I have to backtrack. And in those moments, you kind of have to stop and then like reframe what you're saying in order to move forward so that you don't say those things anymore, which is really hard work. And it's really exhausting. And it's why we never did it before, because it is hard and it is exhausting. And it's, you know, it takes effort. And, um, but when you do get to that point, it's like, oh, okay. I can reframe what I want to say because I do have more brain capacity mm -hmm. now that I'm, you know, dealing with, and, uh, you know, now that I've had surgery and my yeah. capacity isn't on food, it's on myself. That is that is, when people ask me, what's the number one the thing that has changed for you after surgery, I always say this, and you and I've talked about this often. Yeah. Before surgery, 99% of my brain's functioning capacity was dedicated to food. I mean, it just was. I was either thinking about it, I was eating it, I was enjoying it, I was obsessing, I was planning, I was, it was food. And after surgery, I don't know how or why that went away. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, my brain was not hyper focused on food. And I remember sitting in, in, in that chair by the window in our new house, looking out at my beautiful view. And I was like, why do I feel that I have so much time on my hands? And it was like, oh my God, I'm not thinking about food. Yeah. So when, when you hear us say like, oh, I have more capacity, that's what we're talking about. That brain power that we used to be using for food, we can now use to understand and reframe how we talk to ourselves about the choices that we make when it comes to our health. That's, that, that's where we're at. And you know, the other 
excellent point that you made, Nyleen, really what this conversation is all about. If we have these conversations with other people, we're bringing our worries, our concerns, our, our struggles to the light. And when we can shine light on something and we have other people that we trust kind of looking at our, our, our the thing that we want to solve, we can get empathy, we can get input, and we can just speak it out loud because when we say it out loud, we like get it out of our system. We get it out of our own self and we get it out to the world and we realize it's not going to kill us. This isn't going to do us any harm. And by making it public, we're actually inviting in solutions and healing. I mean, I remember when, when we went kayaking for the very first time, I had no idea you'd never been kayaking before. And you said, which was not easy because it's the Northwest and we just assume everybody does these things. Yeah. And I remember you said like, okay, I've never been kayaking before. I'm, I'm nervous. Uh, I have, I have some depth perception issues. Uh, so, you know, how can we kind of do this together? And I remember our response, my response was awesome. I'm so excited to teach you, you know, do you trust me to, to guide you through this? And mm -hmm. we did it together and it was amazing. And yeah. it, all it takes is just saying, ah, I'm a little bit uncomfortable about this and here's why. And it mm -hmm. takes your people, your friends, your community to go, we got this. Here's mm -hmm. what we can do. Here's give this a try. I'm going to do this with you. We're going to be safe. When you don't feel comfortable, we go back, you know, like we can do the same when it comes to food shame and food guilt. We can say, this is what I'm saying to myself when I eat an Oreo. And then we can go, oh, let's talk about that. Why are yeah. you saying that? You know, why are you feeling that way? Here's what I've done. That's what this is. That's what this is all about. Because if you don't have that, it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit more work. It's not that you can't do it, but yeah. this is what the, this is what the community is, is all about. Right. Yeah. Hey guys, it's April. I just want to give a shout out to our very first podcast sponsor, Gather Juice Company. They're located in my backyard. That's right. Grit City, Tacoma, Washington. And their juices, shots, cleanses, and toasts have really made a difference in my bariatric recovery. If you live locally, swing by their 6th Avenue location and pick up something that you will enjoy yourself. And if you don't live locally, send them a quick direct message and just let them know you appreciate their sponsorship of East to West. You've got this and we've got you. So do you recognize your food guilt or your food shame now? And if you do, what strategies are you using to kind of overcome these feelings? Yeah, I mean, I would say since surgery, um, even since like my pre-op journey um, that started back in June of 2020, mm -hmm. um, I would say 90% of the time, I really don't have that food guilt or food shame yeah. um, just because like I said, I've been in and out of therapy. I've been working on, you know, what I'm trying to, to work on <laughs> in yes. myself. Yeah. Um, but you know, those 10%, those moments where, you know, you eat something and maybe you weren't in the right mindset or you weren't in the right like space to, to enjoy it thoroughly or in the right way. Um, you know, I, I do catch myself saying like, oh, why did I eat that? Or, like, oh, I shouldn't have had that or, you know, something like that, or, oh, yeah. that was an impulse or, you know, something like that. You know, you yeah. just kind of like automatically say that to yourself once you're done kind of enjoying it. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I think I really try to just say, no, you know, you enjoyed it. You know, it's not going to kill you. It's not a bad food. Um, I think where my shame really comes from though, is when I feel sick from eating something, Mm -hmm. um, like a couple weekends ago, you know, I went on this big trip and, um, I did not set myself up for success. I chose, I chose to bring foods that were not conducive to my journey, even though no one else asked me to bring those foods. It was me. Um, and I indulged and in the moment I was like, this is fine. Like, I feel good. I'm eating, you know, a brownie I'm enjoying it. It tastes really good. And then, you know, zero to a hundred, I felt really bad. I had the spins I had, I had to go lay down Mm -hmm. and, um, that was where the food guilt got me. Cause I thought I knew what I was doing and I chose to do the opposite thing, hmm. uh, for me, for my health. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm sick and now I have those physical repercussions. And that's when my brain tries to go into like the, like, you're so stupid. Like, why did you do that? You know, better, like, you've ruined your surgery, you know, like all of those things just start kind of going into your brain. Yeah. And, uh, I remember like like, I just, I disappeared from the room. I just like got up, put my plate in the sink and went to bed. And Mm -hmm. I was, cause I was like, I will throw up if I continue to like be a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I remember laying in bed and those thoughts were starting to go into my, my head and I remember I just kind of caught myself because I started feeling really shitty because those are really shitty things to say to yourself. Yes. And then I thought, wow, now I feel shitty. And I also just made my brain feel shitty. And I was like, look, and I just, I think something I've learned in therapy, especially is just to have those like very blunt conversations with myself. Like you need to stop. Mm -hmm. That is untrue. Mm-hmm. You're not stupid. You didn't ruin everything. This was a choice that you made that in the moment felt right. It was, it did not make you feel good. Yes. Yes. So now we're going to learn from that and realize mm-hmm. that maybe making box brownies <laughs> and stuffing them with marshmallows and pretzels is not the move. <laughs> hey. But you would never know that if you had not done it, right? right? You know, and I, yeah. So then I just said, okay, next time I know triple chocolate brownies mixed with marshmallows and pretzels (laughs) is not what I should be eating and make me feel good. And I will remember this feeling for a very long time until I forget and I try it again. And then I do the same thing. Yeah. But that doesn't make me a stupid person. It doesn't make me a failure. It doesn't make me those things. No. And with me, I can either be very lofty and like not confront those things. And then on the extreme side, I can be really blunt. And my therapist just said, you know, use your bluntness to your advantage and just catch those things in the moment. Tell yourself to shut up if you have to like, and that that's just a lie, you know, and Mm -hmm. that has really helped me. That's like a tool that I've learned, um, is to use my, my quick 
wit and my my quit blunt bluntness my cuttingness to cut those mean things that I'm saying to myself and what we always fail to remember is that we are learning how to live our lives at a happy healthy weight yeah we have never done this before we are baby beginners in our own lives. And we have to give ourselves the space and grace to understand we are going to stumble along the way. Yeah. And we forget that, right? We, we forget oh, yeah. that in, in everything that we do. We, we look at people on social media or we, we read books or we watch documentary. You know, we, we're always looking, looking, looking. And we want to beat ourselves up because it's like, well, they got it all together. They've got this figured out. I'm just such an idiot. I don't even know. They were beginners, just like I am figuring this out. They have more experience, you know, and it's, which is crazy, especially for you and I, because we're teachers. Like we understand that, like, you know, this is what we're doing with our own kids. We're, we're saying, no, but you're just learning. You're figuring it out. Like this is, this is the process of, of, of knowing, of acquiring knowledge. And yet here we are going, oh, you idiot. You should have had this figured out by now. No. I don't know how to live at a happy, healthy weight. I've never lived at a happy, healthy weight. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but this is how we figure it out. We have to have these experiences so that we can have these conversations with ourselves and go, oh, that didn't work out very well. (laughs) I need to, I need to make a different decision. And we, we will give that grace to everybody else except ourselves. Oh yeah. Right. which is a part of our old brain. That's a, that's our old self trying to keep us, keep us feeling down, keep us feeling in the dumps, keep us going back to what is comfortable. I mean, all this is, is comfort, right? Making different decisions, having these conversations with ourselves, go doing this work is very uncomfortable and our brains are hardwired to keep us in comfort. Mm -hmm. So we are fighting against our brain, even though our brain is doing everything that it's supposed to do, right? There's nothing wrong with us. Our brains will keep us in comfort until it kills us. So it's our job to use our brains and to get us to the place where we are working in tandem for, for our goals. I had the exact same experience when we were in the San Juan Islands. My mom made this delicious uh, cocktail, frozen, frozen cocktail, an adult beverage. It had all kinds of booze in it. It had ice cream. I sucked that thing down so quickly. I got halfway through it. I wasn't even thinking about it. And literally I had to do the same thing too. I just said, Oh my God, I'm going to be sick. I need to excuse myself. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I am two years post-op. How have I not figured this shit out yet? Yeah. But again, I'm only two years out of the 40 years that I've lived on this earth. Yeah. I've been two years now in my bariatric journey. I am continue, I am constantly stumbling and struggling and making mistakes and, and, and experiencing these moments of quote unquote failure. But what has really been helping me is just to continue to come back to, I think I'm pretty much over the shame. I think I've realized now that I've had surgery and I'm not fearful of not having the right tool anymore. I can, I can definitively say there is nothing wrong with me. There is nothing wrong with me. I, there is no reason to feel shame. There is, I am, I am perfect the way that I am. My brain does exactly what it's supposed to do. My body's doing what it's supposed to do. There's nothing wrong with me. Guilt on the other hand sneaks in. Uh, but if I just continue to tell myself, there's nothing wrong with you. 
And again, I have to remind myself, you are a baby. I am a baby bariatric patient. I'm figuring out how to live my life at a happy, healthy weight. And that's going to mean that I'm going to stumble. I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm going to feel like shit. I'm going to make decisions that were not aligned to my health. And I'm going to have to give myself the grace and space to acknowledge that, that I'm fighting, you know, 40 years, 38 years of living a very different life. And I'm committed to, I'm committing to making these changes. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to make that right choice for me. It's going to mean that sometimes I suck down a drink too fast or that I eat a sandwich or that I enjoy some Cheetos, right? Or whatever it is. But that doesn't make me a horrible person. It doesn't make me a bad person. And if I go into a food decision, acknowledging what I'm doing and having an honest conversation with myself, I'm not going to feel as much guilt or shame around it, right? Yeah. If I'm really, really wanting some Cheetos, I can, I can have now have an honest conversation with myself and I can say, okay, do you want them? Do you need them? Can you say no? And though the answers to those questions really determine what I'm going to do, uh, I've gotten to the place now where I can have triggering foods in my home and not go off the deep end. Now that could change and I could go right back to not having those foods in, in my home anymore, but that's a decision that, that, that I can make if I am actually listening to myself, yep. which is hard to do. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. You're, you know, you said, oh, that's two years of my life. I said, oh, thought to myself, oh, that's a toddler. Yes. I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. Like I'm an infant right now. I'm 10 months old in my bariatric journey. Really? You're and, still babbling. <laughs> yeah. I'm like barely talking, you know, maybe yes. see dad and mama. And yes. I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to be an expert at it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I think we all have to, you know, adjust our thinking and realize that life isn't perfect as we know. So why would we be perfect? You know, why would we put that on ourselves? Yeah. Um, and I think that's really what it boils down to is like, would you talk to a toddler that way? No. Absolutely not. No. If he tripped on something, you wouldn't say you idiot. No, no. No, you, you would know. rush to their aid and, and you would help them learn yeah. how to well, avoid stubbing, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. So in the article that I, um, th that I read, well, there was a couple articles, but one of them had some really great strategies for kind of recognizing and then working towards uh, a freedom from food guilt and, and food shame. And uh, three of the biggest ones were about flipping the script, which is really what, what you and I are talking about. So they, rec they recommend to recognize and eliminate the should or should not and replace it with I am or I am not, which it sounds like you have done, you know, you and I both are, are really working on this. So yeah. what, what, what's a statement or what, what's a flipping of the script that you are, find yourself doing more often than not now? Um, I think with me, it's the, uh, shoulds and shoulds not, should not, you know, like, oh, um, I shouldn't eat like yesterday. I could have said I shouldn't eat the pretzel bun. So I'll, I should have the lettuce it, instead of just like, Hmm, I'm not really, I'm not sure if I should have, or I'm not sure if 
I want the pretzel because it's going to make me feel really full. Mm. I don't really want the lettuce because that's not going to satisfy me. I think I'm going to go with that bread because, you know, it, it won't hurt my stomach and I can enjoy my sandwich instead of just saying, well, I shouldn't have the pretzel bun because it's full of carbs and bad things. Uh, the lettuce is like a good thing. You know, it's, it's yeah. just saying like, mm, I'm not going to have that. Cause I actually don't think that that will make me feel good. And I'm not going to have the, the lettuce because mm, it's just not going to do it for me. So I am going to have this because, and I, I kind of like talk myself through my decisions. Yep. Um, the same with like, once I feel full, I'll say, you know, people offer you food, like, oh, do you want a little bit more of yes. this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'm not going to, because I feel really good right now. I feel satisfied. Um, maybe I'll have some a little bit later mm-hmm. or, you know, those types of things. And just out outwardly saying it, um, you know, around people, not to like, not for them, but for you. And you can also clarify, like, later or before, you know, I'm saying these things for me, um, you can go ahead and do whatever you want to do. I'm not, I'm not policing you, Mm -hmm. but when I say I'm full, that's me telling myself that I'm full. Yes. If that makes sense. Like I try to make sure that like other people in my life know that like, I'm not policing them. They can do whatever they want. I just need to physically tell myself, no, you feel good. You're full. Yep. We're not going to have that. I'm going to put my plate up. Yep. We, 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 uh, at, at our, one of our most recent, uh, Patreon meetups our our monthly meetups, I think it was, somebody said something so amazing. And it was basically around like, you know, we, we can release people in our lives from our, from our food, you know, things we, we can just say, Nope, this is, this is on me. This isn't, this has nothing to do with you. Like, you don't have to worry about me. I'm good to go. And just acknowledging that, you know, just letting people know that I I got this, I'm making decisions that are, that are, you know, big best for me. And, and you don't need to worry about it. Sometimes people just need to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, And that alone can, can give them a lot of freedom and you a lot of freedom as well. Yeah. And, you know, what I've really been doing is, uh, so I too am working very hard to eliminate, oh, I should or should not have that. And if I use words like, oh, maybe, or will I, I can use that (laughs) against myself in a lot of different scenarios. So I've just been trying to cut out those words from my vocabulary. And I just say, I am choosing to have, or I just say, I mean, no qualifier, no nothing, yes or no. Yeah. Right. The, uh, this morning, my sister made, made breakfast for herself and, and her son, and there was some leftover mini pancakes and there was some leftover nectarine. And, uh, and I was having my breakfast of yogurt and, and granola. It was delicious. And she goes, Oh, do you want some nectarines? And I said, Nope. And she's like, Oh, but it's fruit. And I said, no. And it was just weird yeah. because she was just kind of like, uh, okay, well, uh, you know, and all of a sudden you can just tell, like, there's no conversation about it. It's just a, a very solid no just ends it. And by her not following with, with, you know, when she doesn't follow up, I don't have to follow up. I don't have to think about it anymore. I've made my decision. My decision is no. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just being very clear and very direct can, can help with those, you know, conversations yeah. that, that, that you're having. And it's awkward at first, but 
people will figure it out. People, you know, people will, will respect your decision. And then I can respect my decision because I said it so firmly. Nope. Yeah. No. Well, it's just like at the restaurants, you know, when they ask you if you want pepper on your salad, you can say no, like you don't have to say yes. Yes. So it's the same thing. I mean, and that's, and, uh, you know, I think that's something, you know, we, I didn't grow up with, you know, someone offered you food. It was like, yes, please. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go sit down and eat. Yeah. Um, and so now being an adult and saying, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Nope. I don't want right. it. And, you know, and that's okay. Yes. And that's very hard. You know, if, if you're raised in a home where food is kind of a love language, it's hard to say no, because it's, in, well, if I say no to grandma, or if I say no to aunt, or if, you know, if I say no to these food items, then I'm saying no to them, then I'm rejecting them personally. And it's like, okay, that is not the healthiest way for me to live. That's actually a them issue. That's not a me issue. Yep. I can say no to all of these things. But again, it takes time to get to that place where, where that is how we're operating. Uh, so another suggestion that came from this article, which I really thought was interesting, uh, they recommended spotlight your food. So, you know, think about a traffic light. It's green, yellow, and red, and they all mean something different. Green means go, right? Yellow means, oop, change is coming up ahead. Red means full stop. So this article suggested that make make a food list and kind of think about it as, as green, yellow, and red. Uh, your green light foods are foods that you can enjoy without any guilt or shame. Those are just your go-to foods. If your house is filled with green light food, you will most likely very rarely experience food guilt or food shame, right? Then your, your yellow light foods are the ones that are going to give you a little bit of pause and you're going to have to have a quick conversation with yourself about whether or not you're going to choose to enjoy those or not. And then those red light foods are the foods that are going to bring up big emotions. They're very triggering. You have a very difficult time making a, a decision uh, around those foods. And they suggest that those are the foods that you know when you're going to eat them, you're, you have to commit to having kind of an in-depth conversation with yourself or you choose to not have them in your house. You do not bring them into your sacred space that you just say, you know what? Those are no-go foods for me at this time. Mm -hmm. That's the key, right? Not that these are no-go foods forever. This is a no-go, this is a red light food for me right now. And you do have the power to make that choice. Uh, And when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Everybody knows a traffic light, right? Like that's just, that's all of a sudden something clicked for me. So I thought, Hmm, okay, that's, I can do that. I can do that. And then the last thing that they suggested was eliminate the triggers. So again, just do not bring those foods into your home that bring up these, bring up these feelings of shame or guilt. Uh, Don't follow the companies or the people that use or, you know, produce those foods. You can, you can unfollow people so that you're not seeing this constantly coming across your feed and your eyes and your brain. Uh, you can also decline invitations to events where you know that these foods will be served. And again, this isn't something that, you're, that you are doing for the rest of your life. It's something you're doing at this moment in time so that you can learn and grow, so that you can learn you know, what, what it's going to take for you to interact with these foods in a way that's healthy for you. Again, we do, we have the power to do this. We have the power to unfollow. We have the power to decline. We have the power to say no, not at this time. 
it's very, it, it, while it might seem scary, it's actually really empowering to, mm-hmm. to say those things. Yeah. I think, uh, something that, that made me think of was, um, again, I, I go to the 4th of July with my family and on the 4th of July, we have this big primary dinner. Um, you know, everyone brings sides and we have hunks of like prime rib meat which is just it's my favorite meal of the year um and I had my my little chunk of meat and I had like my one side that I wanted and then very shortly after which is very odd usually they do wait to serve dessert but they serve dessert pretty closely to dinner and I was sitting with my mom and she goes I wish they would have waited to serve dessert. I'm so full. And I was like, you don't have to eat it right now. Mm-hmm. And she goes, yeah, but they just put it out. And I was like, well, it's not going to be gone in an hour. That's a lot of, de- I was like, do you, do you see how much dessert is on that table? Like mm-hmm. it's not going to be gone in five minutes. Mm-mm. And I think we get into this habit of like, following the social norms and making sure we're not, you know, rude to people or whatever. But I really, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like I can eat dessert in two hours when I'm ready for dessert. And at that point I'll actually be ready. Like both my bariatric tummy and my brain. And then I can enjoy my dessert without feeling full or sick or, you know, like gross after Yes. You know, and I told my mom that and she was like, oh, I guess I don't have to eat it right away. And I was like, no, there's nothing. You didn't sign a contract when you were born that like I have to eat dessert when it's served, you know? <laughs> yes. And she was like, oh, I guess you're right. And then I like went in, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go grab some dessert. It was like maybe an hour and a half later when my food yeah. finally like digests and I was ready. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you want some? And she was like, yeah, I think I'm ready. And I was like, see, there you go. So hard. Like we didn't miss anything. It's all yeah. still there, you know? And yeah, it's just interesting. I think we, we have these societal like norms and, and mm-hmm. things that really are not contracts that we create and, and treat like contracts mm-hmm. and, and they're just not. So that really made me, you know, the, that whole, you know, all of the strategies, it really does make me realize like, oh, there's so many things that we do in our day-to-day lives that we don't really have to do. No, no. And, and, and I think it's a, they're almost an equal combination of just how we grew up, right? Like how, yeah. how our family operates, how society operates. And then it's also like marketing and advertising, right? We've got all of, we've got these two huge forces that are pressing down on us, especially when it comes to our food choices and how we choose to eat and to, you know, push all of those aside to give us a moment to really think about what we're doing is difficult because we're constantly fighting these all the time. Again, this is the work of weight loss surgery. It's realizing like what you said, I'm not obligated to do this. Like this doesn't make a lot of sense for me now. And then realizing that like advertising and marketing is creating this FOMO around food mm-hmm. is insane. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, we're, we get afraid that we're missing out on an experience that we could have anytime we wanted. Basically there's very few 
food items that really are a one-time thing, right? You and I've yeah. talked about this often. Fourth of July, the same thing in my family, right? People make certain foods at certain times of year. Mm-hmm. And I know that those times are coming up. And I know that my grandma only makes creamed onions at Thanksgiving. So I'm going to enjoy my creamed onions that one time. But if somebody brings Cheetos to Thanksgiving, I'm going to pass because Cheetos are available at 5,000 places around my home. But yet, yeah, why am I panicking about Cheetos? I don't, eh. Yeah. Makes no sense. Well, it does. It's a rib, right? Like, right? <laughs> it's around once a year and everyone goes crazy for it. And I'm like, yeah, if you miss it though, you could get it next year. Right. But that's what, I mean, advertisements and, yep. you know, companies, that's what, it, that, what, that's what they want us to do is to freak out and panic and you can only get it this one time a year. And it's like, yes. okay, yeah, but like I could get it next year. Yeah, exactly. I really wanted it. Yep. So, yeah, I think, you know, just not letting, I think a lot of us also that have this surgery grew up with food addictions, we have this panic around food. Like I'm never going to see it again. It's, it's never going to be there again. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. And we need to let ourselves like stop, like you said, that stoplight, you know, the dessert at that event was a stoplight thing. Like, okay, what am I actually going to eat? Yeah. Am I, is my body ready? Like, do I have an empty tummy? Is my brain okay with me eating this? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I can have it. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're listening to this going, oh my God, this just sounds exhausting. You are correct. This is exhausting, but you are going to be exhausted no matter what. Mm -hmm. You are either going to be exhausted by being controlled and feeling guilt and shame around food, or you're going to be exhausted doing this type of work. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. You're going to be working. So do you want to work in a direction that maybe limits your life? Or do you want to work in a direction that makes you a little bit limitless, right? The, the choice is yours. The work is there. Yep. You get to choose where you want to put the work in. So don't heart. think, right? Yeah. Like choose your heart. Don't think that this is any more difficult than what you were doing before. It's not, it's just different. It's a, it, it, it's the same thing, right? Instead of hammering, you are using a screwdriver. Like it's the same work. Yeah. Right. We, we just tend to advocate and we choose to do the work in a way that adds to our life instead of taking it away. And again, that's a gift and a curse of weight loss surgery. Now this is the work instead of the old work, but it's, it's, it's work nonetheless. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend, any final thoughts on food guilt or food shame that you'd like to share with our friends and followers? Um, I'm always a huge ther- uh, therapy advocate. So if you can, uh, I highly suggest seeing a therapist, hopefully one that can specialize in food addiction and or bariatric surgery. Um, It is hard. Again, it is a difficult thing. It's not easy. I cry every single time. Uh, It's draining. I, you know, when I have surgery, I book the rest of my day off because it is that intense. Yeah. But the same time it's allowed me to come to these realizations you know april's like where did you get that helps you assess you know how you used to feel about food all of that so yep i could not agree with you more uh i have thought i have sought out the counsel of very talented 
uh, therapists who have helped me get to the point where I am now. And again, it's just the work, right? I'm going to do the work anyways. I would rather put the work in now in a way that adds to my life instead of, instead of takes it away. Mm -hmm. And if, if you get one thing out of this conversation, I hope it is the, the understanding or the realization that we all struggle with food guilt and with food shame, that there is nothing wrong with you. There never has been anything wrong with you. Uh, we are all learning how to live our life at a, at a healthy, happy weight. And if you are ready to share some of those experiences, to bring some of your struggles or questions to the light, there is a wonderful community where you can do that. And our DMs are always open. We are here to support you. Uh, we are here to listen and empathize and, and offer any bits of wisdom that, that we can. But sometimes it's just enough to know that you are not alone and that other people are, are struggling and other people are working working through this. But the good news is Natalie and I have been doing this work as well. We are still here. We are figuring it out. We are happy to be here. And that, you know, having these conversations with ourselves and others has not done us any harm. It's only brought us good. Exactly. Exactly. So in the show notes, you guys, we will reference uh, the three uh, kind of articles that we pulled from uh, when we were doing research for, for this podcast episode. We highly recommend that, that you check them out. You can just go to our, our Anchor homepage, or if you go into your podcast player app and you kind of read the, the notes, scroll down to the very end, and you will see links right there to the article. So we highly recommend that, that you check them out. And if you enjoyed this episode, or if you enjoy uh, what we're doing here at East to West, that would be a really great time to leave us a rating and a review in your podcast player app. We very much uh, appreciate that support. Uh, Nat, maybe you've already said this, but where can people find you on Instagram if they want to follow along? Yeah, so I'm uh, at breakingberry underscore ers. So at breakingbarriers, it's like a play on bariatric uh, that I tried to come up with. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I am, I just share my journey, my, uh, ups, my downs, my in-betweens, I share it all. So if you are also, uh, you know, curious about, um, you know, dating, anything relating to, you know, post-op, pre-op, anything like that, my DMs are always open. Um, I like to have open conversations with everyone. So yep. uh, that is where you can find me and a little bit about my page. <laughs> You can follow East to West on Instagram. We are at East, the number two, West underscore WLS. We also have a fabulous website that you can uh, just become a member of, and you will be the first to know when like new episodes drop. So just head to www.east, the number two, westwls.com. You can find me and follow me personally. I am at actively underscore April. You can follow Jason and his journey at the T-H-A underscore Smithsonian underscore. It's a little bit funky. We'll make sure that we link it in the show notes as well. So, all right, my friend, I think we did it. Anything else for the good of the order? No, I think we did it. We rock. I do have to say, I'm very proud of this conversation. I know it's scary for people to talk about, but I'm glad that we were able to, to have this very open and honest conversation because that's what we're all about here at East to West. Yes. If Jason was here, he would take us out, but I think I'll do it for us. Just remember, friends, you've got this and we've got you. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Nat. Bye.